guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm Zach. And I'm Krista. And we just finished watching Princess Bride with our kids. We read the book, finished the book last week and just watched the episode of this, or the the show, the show (laughs) this week, the movie tonight um, on old VHS nonetheless. And it makes me want to quote the uh the the priest that marries them and try and too bad this one isn't about marriage yeah but we, it is about scriptures oh dear scriptures <laughs> that bring us together today i think we might need to bloop that one i think that should be the beginning of every episode <laughs> as you wish eh, see what i did there scriptures that blessed book that dream within a dream oh dear I, whatever. I'll, hey, I'll let it be. This but... is episode 11. <laughs> We're studying with you Matthew chapters 10 through 12, Mark chapter 2, and Luke, Luke. chapters 7 through or 7 and 11. Kind of a potpourri of chapters. We're going to focus primarily in Mark chapters 10 or Matthew chapters 10 and 11 on the calling of the apostles and what that has to do with us and our call uh, to likewise do what they're asked to do. Uh, before we do, though, we had a really good question proposed or posed to us um, the last couple of weeks. And we wanted to read that question and respond to it. Yeah, I think this this question comes from one of our listeners, and I've also heard this question. We had kind of a question answer in our state conference a couple of weeks ago, and I just I feel like this is one that is very. It comes up a lot. Yeah, it does. So let's talk about it. And of course, we don't have all the conclusive answers, but I think it's a good one to get. Um, discussing and mm-hmm. have on our minds. So, so she says she and her husband both teach a teenage Sunday school class, a pretty large one. Um, she says they all come from families that are studying Come Follow Me, but when they come to class, it's obvious that most of them don't really care what's going on. Um, and she deals with a lot of the other issues that we deal with in teenage classes that probably most of us are familiar with. Cell phones, um, the attitude, not really caring, like we already mentioned, the different learning abilities, the different family circumstances, what they're actually doing in their families, um, you know, the different backgrounds in scriptures. And so I think it would be good for us just to talk about this of um, what we need to do. Yeah. What are some ideas? And this really does come up a lot. Anyone that teaches teenagers, um, I've, I've heard almost unanimously the question of what do you do when they don't care or how do you get them to care more? It just seems like they don't care about the scriptures. They don't care about the lessons or what do you do? And the way that that lack of care, that apathy manifests itself in multiple ways. When students don't care, then they're on their phones more. When they don't care, then they don't uh, pay a whole lot of attention to the classroom environment. So it can get rowdy and it can get kind of crazy. When they don't care, they don't take things seriously. They're a lot more lighthearted or even light-minded. And, and it makes for a really frustrating teaching environment. So what do you do when students don't care, when teenage don't, teenagers don't care? Um, if I can share just a little anecdote from, from my first year of teaching, I'm teaching the Book of Mormon and uh, teaching a story, and I don't even remember what it was, but it was a story that I've always loved. And so I'm teaching it to my students and I'm asking them these questions and their response is very, very lackluster, very apathetic. Um, It's like pulling teeth to get them to respond to any question that I'm asking, even the ones that I thought were really good questions. 
And I finally, in the middle of the lesson, stopped. And I said, guys, this isn't working. What's going on? How come none of you are responding to my questions? No one's answering anything. Tell me what's up. And one young woman who was very snarky, but to whom I'll always be grateful, <laughs> said, almost directly quoted, Brother Horton, we don't care about a bunch of dead guys. And it blew me away. Uh, I had never looked at class from the student perspective. I'd always looked at it from my perspective. Here's my lesson, and isn't this great? And I found this cool insight, and it helps us understand Nephi in this way, and it helps us really appreciate Moroni. And her response is, we don't care about any of that. The unspoken text was, until you can teach us something we care about, until you can help us connect the scriptures to something we care about, um, we're not giving you anything. We're not responding to answers. We're not responding to questions. We're not going to bite on classroom behavior things. Um, last year, I listened to an audio recording of Dr. John Lund, who I think the presentation of his talk was called How to Hug a Teenage Porcupine. I think he's got a book on it. You could probably Google and find the book. Uh, my uncle gave it to me, who's a principal at a high school. And I loved it. If you teach or work with teenagers, you've got to or find a parents. way or parent. Yeah. yeah, you've got to find a way to get your hand on on uh, on this we'll recording on these tapes. Linked, maybe yeah, the maybe books. there's probably a Deseret Book link or Amazon link or something yeah. we can find. But um, as I was listening to it, it, it reminded me of what that young woman said in my class all those years ago. Um, what Dr. Lund said is that parents, and I would say teachers, care about five main things when they're thinking about their teenagers. So number one, they care about their teenager's future, or I would say teachers sometimes care about the past. They need to have this testimony of Joseph Smith. They need to know that this happened. And, um, especially if you're teaching something like the New Testament, they need to have a testimony of what happened, what Jesus did. Or like or you're taught. saying, like, I loved what happened in the Book mm -hmm. of Mormon, so why don't you? So, so teachers or parents care about the future or the past. They care about the family, or teachers care about the class. They want the teenagers to be focused on the family, the good of the family, the good of the class. They want them to accept responsibility for their own lives or in a class for their own learning. Number four, they want them, parents want them to be safe and teachers want them to be reverent. In class, we want a safe and reverent environment. And number five, they want them to be open. We want them to talk. We want them to, to share what they're thinking and feeling. Parents want, when you go into your teenager's bedroom and you say, how's it going? You want them to say, oh my goodness, mom or dad, I just, let me tell you everything I'm thinking and feeling. <laughs> Um, those are all wonderful desires. The problem is they are diametrically opposite from everything that teenagers want. So number one, parents and teachers want future, want the teachers or teenagers to focus on the past and the future. Teenagers just want to focus on the present. They want to live in the now. Two, we focus on family and class. They care about their friends. Three, we care about responsibility, but they care about freedom. Four, we care about safety and reverence. They care about fun. And five, we care about openness and they care about privacy or personalness. Now, it's important to note that none of those desires on either side, parents or teenagers, are bad. They're all good. It's good to want fun. It's good to want good friends. It's good to focus on the present. So it's not a matter of telling teenagers, you need to stop focusing on what you're interested in and focus on what I'm interested in. In fact, the opposite is probably the case. While they are teenagers, while they have that teenage brain, we're not going to wrestle them away from what they care deeply about. So we need to learn how to speak to teenagers in their language. We need to learn how to care about what they care about. 
which means if I'm teaching a teenage Sunday school class and I'm walking into that class, the first and most important thing I need to be able to do is look at those teenagers and say, I care about you and I care about what you care about. If you care about what your friends think about you, I care about what your friends think about you. If you care about the dance this weekend, I care about the dance this weekend. If you care about the current stress and worry that's going on in your family, if you care about your parents' divorce, if you care about depression and anxiety, I have to care about that. And once I start caring about that, when I study the scriptures with my students in mind, I'm not studying on what they need to do to have eternal life in the future or what they need to understand about uh, the parable of the sower and what Jesus taught. I'm looking at how is this going to help them deal with their parents' divorce? How is this going to help them deal with their friends that hate them? How is this going to help them deal with their depression or with their anxiety? How is this going to help them in the present, in their personal lives, with their friends, help them experience freedom uh, and, and with their own personal feelings and thoughts? The word that I think is that relevance. Mm-hmm. And I think this goes along a little bit with our, our study tip that we did a few episodes ago about being those capable learners and showing them that you care. Because I think this is a hard one to jump from. Like, of course, you as a teacher and you as a parent do care about these things, but it's making that transition from how you study, like you said, like trying to maybe look at the scriptures through their eyes, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, I had a friend of mine that was, uh, had this down really, really well in his teaching would always say before he teaches a lesson, he asks himself, what's broken in my students' lives that this particular lesson can fix? Uh, And that's a really great way to approach teaching. And when you do that, when you care not just about your students, but you care about what they care about, it changes the whole way you study for them and the whole way that you teach them. So hopefully that's helpful. That's a foundation. That's not the answer, but it's one answer among many that hopefully will help you as you parent teenagers um, or as you teach them in your Sunday school classes or teach them in your home. And maybe... I think this would be a good thing to, if you have any messages or any experiences that you want to send us through email or DM us on Instagram, I mean, that would be really fun to hear because... Or even just we, comment on this episode and share with everyone. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That would be a, comments because mm-hmm. um, we don't have teachers. To, <laughs> we don't have teenagers. So we could also, you know... You've got an eight-year-old that thinks he's a teenager, but that's true. not there yet. Not so. there yet. That's right. All right. Um To begin this episode, or to begin our scripture study, we actually want to dive into the middle of the episode. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 are pretty well-known verses, um, and I want to read them. The Savior says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we love those verses. I have seen it taught many different times, and they all kind of follow a similar pattern, these teachings. We teach the doctrine when you are laden down with burdens or trials or difficulties, if you bring them to the Savior, he will take your yoke upon him and he will make your burdens light and he'll give you rest. Now, that is a wonderful truth, and the Savior does provide relief from burdens and stresses, and he does take things on himself. But that's not what Matthew is teaching. Listen carefully. Verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that's the promise, but listen to the action we take. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In other words, we don't receive rest by giving our yoke to the Savior or by him taking our yoke upon him. The promise in these verses is, you come unto me with all of your burdens and all of your stresses and take my yoke upon you. And when you do that, as counterintuitive as it seems, then you find rest to your souls. In this episode, what we want to study is the calling of the apostles and how them taking upon themselves the Savior's yoke of teaching and ministering and lifting uh, those that follow him and those that he loves, lifting them to Heavenly Father, helping to, in a way, um, gather them to the Father. And as we study that, how we can be more involved in that work, how we can better take the Savior's yoke on us, and how it can actually provide us rest and comfort to our souls. The Savior answers this question again, or maybe reiterates this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That as we take on this calling, this, our own discipleship, our own becoming the fishers of men, all of those phrases that we use of this gathering. And speaking of gathering, (laughs) that was a good segue segue that I just set up. I kind of, I don't think I did on purpose. I kind of did a little. Anyway, um, maybe this becomes very relevant for us today. If we have been listening at all to our prophet today of President Nelson, you have heard him talk about the gathering, the gathering of Israel. And he says it best in the youth fireside that he gave this June. June, uh-huh. Hope of um, Israel. Yep. We'll link you, it. Yes, you will remember this. He says, the Lord is hastening his work. This gathering is the most important thing taking place today. Nothing else compares in magnitude. Nothing else compares in importance. Nothing else compares in majesty. And if you choose to want to, you can be a part of it. A part of something big. You can be a big part of something big, something grand, something majestic. And he talks a lot about how we can do this. And the gathering, I I almost feel like in some of those, you know, he gave us those awesome challenges, both the women in October. He talked about it to, to us in women's conference and to the youth. And he gave us these challenges. And I almost think that the whole idea kind of got drowned out a little bit of, you're doing mm. those challenges or so that you can be better so at gathering Israel. So that you Israel. can gather Israel. And that is the same job that these apostles had, the same gathering that Christ was doing mm-hmm. is happening today. And our prophet is calling us to that. So what we want to do is study these chapters and we're going to provide just the beginnings of a study. But as you study them, look for what the Savior teaches to his apostles on how they can be involved in this gathering, knowing that to the degree which we involve ourselves in taking his yoke upon us and in gathering, then we will be provided with rest to our souls and peace. Um, the first one that I found actually starts before chapter 10. And, and uh, this one, maybe it goes along with our, our, our answer to the question at the beginning of the episode. Um, I've said this before on the podcast, but one of the things I think that hampers our scripture study the most is that we have chapter breaks in our scriptures. Matthew didn't write chapters. He just wrote. In fact, he didn't even write verses. And so sometimes the verses and chapters can force us to see things in a way that the author didn't intend. I don't think Matthew starts the idea of calling the apostles in verse 1 of chapter 10. I think he starts it in verse 35 of chapter 9. 
So here's what he says. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. And then chapter 10, verse 1 and when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Then he gives the name of the twelve, and he sends them out as apostles in verse 6 to go gather, or go rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and gather them. Um, I learned from Elder Holland when he came to the MTC, uh, when I was there, that the word apostle, oh no, this is when he came to our mission, uh, the word apostle just means one who was sent. Now, there are capital A apostles. There's 12 of them or 15 of them, if you count the first presidency, that are special witnesses of Christ. They were specifically sent to be that special witness. However, Elder Holland looked at our mission and said, you are all of you apostles. You have all been sent, and that makes you an apostle. And I think our prophet giving us this challenge to gather scattered Israel qualifies us as apostles. We were sent. And the key that I found, at least the first one I found in my study, was before this calling happens, the Savior indicates that his motivation and our motivation should be, like it said in verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them the first key to being involved in taking the Savior's yoke on us and in gathering scattered Israel is to do what he did, and that is to be filled with compassion. And if you're not filled with it, pray for it. Um, and if you're praying for it and you're still not filled with it, then get to work and start to get to know people and care about them and what's going on in their life. And the more filled with compassion you are, the better you'll be able to help them and gather them. I do love love that setup because I haven't ever really thought of it in that way before. Um, that basically the Savior was seeing that I can't do this alone. I need help. And that's what our prophet is, is calling to us. Mm -hmm. I need your help because we can't do it alone. And this, this verse here, as, as you mentioned, you know, these are the things that you are going to be doing, healing the sick, cleansing, doing some of these things that you've seen me do. Um, in verse, verse eight, he says, freely you received, freely give. And I think that same invitation for us today. So you've seen these miracles. You've seen me heal, heal your family. You've seen me heal your friends. I want you to be able to do it now too. Freely you have received. Now please, please share it. Hmm. And that's the same thing that President Nelson talks about too, is it's going to take a sacrifice for you, but you've received this and realize what you have. Now let's go give it to other people and show them. I like that. Um, it almost seems like what we're talking about isn't necessarily actions, but emotions. The first one is you need to have compassion. And the second one that you're talking about is we need to have gratitude. So much gratitude for what I've been given that I can't help but want to give it to someone else. Um, because I have been given much. That's I exactly think it. That song, you know. Well, and I just think... There's a whole bunch of things in my life that I'm that I'm really grateful for, that I'm really excited about, um, that I share with people. My favorite show or the book that we just read, etc. Um, but what we're talking about here is to be that kind of passionate and grateful about things that God's given us, so that we are, feel naturally inclined to give it and share it to other people.
Mm-hmm. Another one that stood out to me and, and actually kind of stood out to both of us independently is uh, this in verse 19. And it's one that tripped me up. Um, I'll read it first and then tell you why. Uh, verse 19. Um, well, I guess verses 18 and 19. And when you shall be brought before governors and kings, this is to these apostles, for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles, when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. Now, my problem with that is this. Um, I don't think the Savior is saying, don't ever think about what you're going to say in these situations where you're teaching someone um, or where you're in a difficult situation. Um, because we're very clearly taught in the Doctrine and Covenants. For example, Hiram Smith comes to Joseph and says, I want to serve a mission. And the revelation that comes to him is, seek first to obtain my word, then you can proclaim my word. And so there is a requirement that in order for me to give someone water from my well, I have to have something in the well in the first place. It has to be filled with at least some knowledge of the gospel, definitely testimony and passion and conviction and feeling and experience if I'm going to give that to someone else. However, there is something to be said for in our job in gathering Israel um, to relying more on the Lord and what he would tell us to do and what he instructs us through his spirit in, in teaching his children. They were his children first. He knows them better than we do. And uh, the more we can rely on him, I think the more effective we can be in reaching them and teaching them. And I always thought of it more as kind of a comforting. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, no, it doesn't mean you can't know what you're talking about. But almost him comforting us of saying it's scary sometimes to mm. share. It's really scary to talk about those things with people that you are close to or people that you're not close to. It's scary to be a missionary. It's scary to... You know, those can be kind of scary, but to know that this is his work and he's going to help you with it. And I love, I love kind of in that same vein, um, I don't think it's any coincidence that the way that President Nelson, as I was studying these talks on his talks on gathering Israel, the very first thing he talked about with the youth was personal revelation, saying that this is the most important thing you can do is learn and find out how God speaks to you and how he can work through you as as one of his disciples or one of his lowercase apostles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we really think of it in those moments of, yeah, it is scary, but I am on I, I'm on a mission. I have a calling. God has told me these things. You have that personal revelation. Well, and even to think of it too, that this is a yoke, and we're very good at drawing this. You know, the yoke is that double that space for two oxen to put their head in. Mm -hmm. We're not doing this alone. Remember the beginning is the Savior says, take my yoke upon you, meaning he's already yoked up. He's already doing it. So when we come and start doing this work, then he's with us. So it doesn't happen alone, but there's that that nervousness or fear that sometimes goes with it. Um, His President Nelson adds in the talk to the women, My dear sisters, you have special spiritual gifts and propensities tonight. I urge you with all the hope of my heart to pray to understand your spiritual gifts. He wants to tell you. He wants to tell you what you need to be doing and how you need to be doing it and what you need to say, and he will be there. And I love just these verses that, um, I mean, this whole chapter, if you really think of it in this way of like, this is him comforting you and telling him, telling you how to be a disciple. And verse 
chapter 10, verse 31, he says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He is going to take care of you in, in your calling as a disciple. And not only that, I'm going to keep quoting President Nelson here. He wants you to find, okay, I'm not quoting him. I'm, I'm not quoting him. Paraphrasing, that's fine. <laughs> Paraphrasing again. But he says, as you cultivate, use, and find these spiritual gifts that God has given you, um, you will change the world as you do so. And that's that's our that's what we get to do. We get to be a part of what these apostles, what Jesus was calling these apostles to do. What you're pointing out is that there's two great outcomes of this call to serve, of gathering Israel, of being yoked to the Savior. One, of course, is that we get to, as President Nelson says, be part of something great. Mm-hmm. We get to be the means through which God gathers his people back to him. And I can't think of a greater joy in life than to when this is all done and we get to the end to be there with my family, but to also be there with people that helped gather me and to be there with people that I love that I was a part of, of their coming to the Savior, coming to the Father. The second outcome, though, I see is that as we're yoked with the Savior, he teaches and instructs and guides us. He helps us improve. He helps us see our unique gifts and our unique talents. And maybe that's where we see that rest that comes that the Savior promised that as I we're yoked so. with him, he, he, we're focused on other people. He's focused on us. Mm-hmm. Um, to end, I, I was just looking at these verses and they stood out to me like they never have before. This is chapter 10, verse 22. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. In other words, I'm persecuted, says the Savior, and you will be too. But then this beginning part of verse 25 is the part that stood out. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. What a great feeling to be yoked with the Savior and to be like him, to go through to some small degree what he went through and to look at him and him to look at you and say, you're like me. We hope that through this, you have can maybe gain a little more confidence in your teaching of teenagers, your teaching of your family, and maybe a little more broader, your teaching in your calling as a disciple of Christ and your your ministry that he is calling to you and your maybe even your um, confidence in who God sees you and the work that he has for you as one of his as one of his people as one of the people that he loves um, and we hope that as you study these chapters you can find out more just how much God sees you as a part of his work thank you for studying with us we hope you guys have a great week